This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed! Bitch! Gangsters, what's up guys? What's the grant to a motherfucker like me? Can you please remind me? Get the world by the tail! Fat broads and horse-faced lesbians. Cute as shit. Oh, 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 skip, skip, skip. If you don't chew big red, then f you. That's so horny. Could you imagine if I hit the old water pipe with that thing? Oh. Great cash, homie. Three, two, one, let's fuck! Everybody's got to hear the shit on W Balls, W Balls, W Balls. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate it. And I think like, you know, is it weird kind of being for me, like, you know, it was it was interesting when I wrote my book and I, I was fortunate enough to do a lot of podcasts for my book. But like when it came on and I had to be like the receiver of all the stuff, like it was a bizarre feeling. And like when people just ask you about all the stuff inside of it, like, is that kind of like is that your experience as well? Or is that just kind of like my bizarre take on the situation from what I think it's going to be? I think you had an experience that I would have liked to have um, okay. I think with me, like people were just like oh it's so cool you did this and i always make the joke you know like i'd ask people hey how what did you like what were your thoughts on either like one of my books and they'd be like well i loved it okay cool which part and they just said i loved all of it and it's like okay oh, so yeah. i took that yeah, to my yeah, okay. three sentences or you know they never read it and it's just kind of funny but yeah man like there have been some really good genuine interactions that i'm thankful to have but um it's all part of the, the book publishing process, right? Sure. Yeah. No, I think that it, it's it's interesting because we can relate to one another on a level that I don't think a lot of people can. And so it's it's interesting to kind of see like a lot of the same, you know, you feel less alone. I think when you see all that kind of stuff too, like you feel like you're not just either batshit nuts or crazy or that people are questioning you for like no reason or all that kind of stuff. Like you kind of find this weird, like it's weird how we find community in a lot of different places anyway, but in this community, it's, it's especially bizarre because you come from like all over the place, you write about different things, but like that experience is is the same no matter how you slice it it's the same whether you're writing about something that's completely different from what you're writing about you can find some kind of commonality which i think is really interesting absolutely i i and i feel fortunate to have met you and to like have cultivated a relationship with you sam because like you said i, I don't really know any personally any other authors but i saw like uh hafiz had posted about you on like the the affluent standard instagram page it's like hey mm -hmm. this guy just wrote a book he's featured in a new york city library now i'm like damn i gotta talk to this guy like yeah. um i was super excited and so this it's again it's cool how we met well Hafiz flatters me so i think that it's you know i think he's uh he's just he's a, he's a good uh shout out to Hafiz Bayoku. He's, he's a good guy in general man he's a he's a he's a high character guy someone who likes to gas people up more than he likes to gas up himself which is what makes him such a good person in my opinion but 
So to, to get into that a little bit, kind of just like to flesh out that topic, you, so it's, I remember you telling me that I think I'm just recalling it now. So you are the only person that I really know who does writing really as a big chunk to all of their living. And so it's kind of like, it's a very, it's, it's a very rare person to have. It's kind of like a stand-up comic who does like stand-up comedy for a living or like doesn't like any type of artist, because I don't like to, you know, label myself as an artist all the time because like, you know, I don't want to like give myself like a fancy, you know, label or whatever when it's not called for, but that's, that's what we do at the end of the day. We're artists in a lot of ways. And so I think that like for me to start out with, you know, I know you spent a good portion of your college years doing it. You kind of have like a bunch of things you had like really big passion for it for a while. What was it about writing itself that, that made you take the leap into wanting to do it financially to like really bolster your life with? I don't think there was one moment. It was just kind of a process, meaning the, the only reason I published my first book was because for grad school, I had to either write a thesis or I had to do a creative work. And it's like, I'm kind of lazy when it comes to academia. So I'm yeah. like, I'm definitely doing the creative work. It's like, well, what am I going to write a story on? Like, I can't just make up a fictitious story. That'd be very difficult. But fortunately, a few months prior, my buddy and I had done kind of this epic cycling journey. And so I'm like, I'm going to tell this story. Um, that's how I got into it. And then to publish it, I was just kind of like, oh, this might be a cool story. Like, obviously, I'm biased. I think it's interesting. But that was the motivation to actually put it out there. And simply enough, I just Googled, like, how to find a publisher. And shout out to the SEO gods, whoever led me to my publisher. Because, yeah, yeah I mean, seven months later, I had a book on the shelves in a Barnes & Noble, which is pretty cool. That's a pretty great turnaround, too, man. I mean, there's a lot of things that kind of, like, you, you have to kind of get out. Like, people just – it's much harder, I think, than a lot of people realize it is to kind of, you know, do even that work to get in contact with a publisher and have a publisher seriously consider you. You have to do a proposal, all that kind of stuff to really get in front of those people. And so, um, and the interesting thing about that story is that my next question was going to be like, why did you base your experience off of writing rather on like an experience of doing something, an adventure rather than kind of like an idea or a concept, even though those were in there, but like, you know, so you the interesting thing of uh, things about your books, both the long road, the long road North and the long road East is that they are nonfiction stories. They are based on things that happened in your life, but they read like a narrative, which is really, really interesting because I think that's something to me that's tremendously difficult to pull off. I think storytelling is in a book format, much harder than people think it's going to be because people, when they aren't good at telling stories, then the book that is based off of that story is not going to be all that great either. So it's kind of like, did, was was maybe, that's maybe a better question. Did something natural about storytelling come into play with you and it kind of factored into how you wrote the book? Were you always a good storyteller in that sense? Gosh, I, I don't I don't think so. Um, and the reason I say it is because these books, they're, they're almost easy to write because I'm just detailing what happened. Now, yeah. like you used the term earlier, like an artist. I, I don't know if I consider myself an artist. Like by definition, I am. But I don't necessarily consider myself to be the most talented person in the world. I think if like I have a really good characteristic as a writer, it's that I'm willing to be bold and just write about what actually happened because, you know, and you read the books, like it'd be very easy to try to make myself out to be a hero or to really downplay some of the things that happened, right. make them sound a little bit more politically correct or even PG. But that's boring. Like no one wants to read that story. Right. And so like the yeah. people want to read is like, well, tell me what actually happened and don't like, and I'm not saying everything that ever happened is in those books, but like, again, tell me a story. Like, let's pretend we were at a bar or we're sitting down having a drink, just hanging out. Like, tell me a real story because if I waste your time with for 300 pages on just, again, something politically correct or something very blase and basic, people aren't going to read it. Right. No. And, and I think that was one thing that was, that I found very refreshing is that, you know, there, there are a lot of people who are kind of like, 
in the in the artist. There's a lot of kind of like, and I might be a wannabe as well. You might be a wannabe as well. But there's a lot of wannabe artists out there that want to kind of do a bunch of other things where they say like, oh, I do this like podcast. I have this blog. I have whatever. But it's all the same like regurgitated nonsense kind of like you know everything else. Like there's no originality to any of it. And the thing that I found so refreshing, and the thing we talked about two weeks ago on this, but the thing that I found so refreshing about your work was that it was completely unvarnished. Like it was basically like, this is how it is. This is kind of like, this is when, this is what happened when we were staying at this random house inside of a Midwestern town. And this old guy called my best friend gay and he got into a fight by everybody else and all that. Like, like it's just it's stuff like that. And I was like, whoa, like this is really, really kind of cool. And so th that was kind of like everything in terms of all, all that, all that sort of stuff. And so like, it, it's just, you know, it was so refreshing to hear kind of that real, the real, and that's something I know that we, when we had talked about my book that you would appreciate it about my book. And I get it now because that was kind of how you wrote your books and how you positioned your work in a lot of ways. And I think that the definite, like I, it's hard to come up with sort of like a, a definition of art in a lot of ways, but I think the definite, a good definition of art is saying a, expressing something without playing it safe. I think that's a pretty good definition of art, like pre presenting something as it is and letting people interpret it for what they will, because I'm sure that, and we, this is something we've talked about as well, that you've had a lot of people come up and say, like, I don't really like how you said this, or I don't really like how you phrased this or whatever. And I've gotten plenty of that from my own book as well. Like there's been a lot of people that kind of have done you know, a bunch of things reciprocal for that. So it's, it's, it's interesting, that, you know, just to meet someone who isn't afraid to kind of like do that gentle pushing of the envelope as it were and a kind of other other type of work which i found very very you know compelling about you to be quite honest for sure no i appreciate that i mean it's and i gotta throw the compliment back because yeah man like I, I loved reading especially the latter half of your book where you started getting into more storytelling aspects i'm like dude i got again gotta meet this guy gotta have a conversation uh I, i'll use the two words raw and authentic i think those things are so crucial for a writer mm -hmm. and you encapsulated that perfectly in your book and you know, for me, like to, to hit on what you said about, you know, people aren't going to like what you said. I mean, if I ever get a semblance of clout, Sam, like I'll for sure be canceled because there are things in there where yeah, it's like, man, right. I don't necessarily like even me reading them like today, you know, because it's like five years have passed, let's say on some of these events. It's like, man, like, maybe yeah. I should have worded that a little different. But like, I can't apologize. And the, the way I write is the same way I live where it's like, look, I'm going to say some dumb things some things I'm not proud of. I'm going to do some things I'm not necessarily proud of, but like, it's all part of the human experience. That doesn't mean it's justified. It just simply means like it's reality and I'm not perfect and I'll never strive to be in that respect. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I think that might be another thing too, is like that, that battle that I think all artists have with perfectionism. I think that's a huge thing as well, because like we want something to be good so bad. Like we, like, you know, artists are very dependent, I, I, whether we want to admit or not, or not on external validation from other people. Like, that's why we make things. We make things not for, we make things for ourselves, but in reality, we make things so that other people can enjoy them and validate that feeling we have about what we just created. And so when you put something out there that you think is kind of like, ooh, this might rub some people the wrong way. This is that, this is this, this is whatever. You, and you play it safe, you kind of alienate both sides of the spectrum where you're saying like, okay, I'm just going to be kind of milk toast and how I put this out there. And then people will kind of do the thing they said with your book where they say, or that you were mentioning earlier, not with your book, but we were mentioning earlier, like, oh yeah, like I liked all of it or yeah, it was kind of good or all this kind of stuff. Like there's no, like, there's no defined opinion on what the topic is. And that is always the sign where if I hear that about something, about a movie, about a TV show, about whatever, I automatically downgrade it in my head. Cause I'm like, okay, there's nothing special about it. Like at least when something is like, 
like I think, you know, when I look to all the things that I look up to in terms of creative, you know, endeavors that have been done, whether that's like a Cormac McCarthy novel or Fight Club or Euphoria or something like that, where it's just so transgressive and in your face and it makes you take a stance on a moral issue. Like that's, that's, that's where I get excited. Like that's where I get people grab my attention and say like, okay, I'm going to put this right in front of you and you have to make an, make an opinion on it, take a stance, whatever you want to do. And even if it's something as, you know, kind of quote unquote benign as like a cycling trip up to Canada, there's still a lot there, regardless of whether people want to kind of have it for all that, all those points and purposes. For sure. It's, it's interesting. Like, so you talk about like making stands or making points when you read when you read either of my books, Sam, would you say that I was directly like my 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 interpretation of what my work is like? I don't directly try to like make points. Like, let's say if we're having no, a conversation no. about like men and women, it's like I'm just going to tell you a story, and then it's like the audience, the reader, is going to have their own interpretation of that. But it's not. I'm not giving you theory. I'm giving you like application things that have actually happened, and then you yeah. could apply like let's say I don't know feminist theory or some other type of like interpersonal dynamic to that actual like application to that context. Yeah. Like and I might not be describing it perfectly well, but do you understand what I'm saying? As far as like, yeah. instead of like, like yeah. you see a lot of YouTubers who operate solely in theory, like fresh and fit would be a great example. They're yeah. always telling you about like, you know, men need to do this. Women need to do that, but they don't synthesize it with any story. For me, it's like, I'm not going to tell you theory. I'm just going to tell you like, here's what happened. And I think like that's almost like the art in many ways of being a writer. And like, again, that's something I really like about what you did. It's like your interaction, let's say with that one woman in your story, you weren't telling guys like, Hey, here's how you should interact with, with women. It was just like, here's yeah, a story. Right. Smart people will interpret that their own way. Right. And I think, you know, and this is kind of broaching into what you do in your other line of work is that you write articles about people. And so maybe, maybe what you said earlier is that, you might be, I think you're a journalist. Like, I think you're a journalist and a journalist does not have to be really somebody that, you know, like it, it, they don't have to be like, okay, I'm going to go to like this war zone and comment about what I see a journalist, it kind of, you know, in kind of encapsulating it with a the narrative, they take what they see and what they experience, but they flavor it and they kind of, you know, make it, they spice it up and they make it a little bit better. And some of your things might be exaggerated. Some things might be downplayed, but it's still the exact same thing of what a journalist is doing. You are observing something happening. And you are taking it from your point of view and then putting it into a work. And that is kind of what happened with both of your books, because anyone can go on and say like, you know, cycling from, you know, Minnesota to, you know, the Atlantic ocean is, was a cool experience. And here's what I saw and here's what I did, but you kind of made it, you made it a story. You made it a narrative. That's kind of what it was. That's the difference. I think from your work versus a lot of other people's, which is very, very refreshing. For sure, man. Yeah, I mean, I I never want to waste someone's time. Let's say, like, hey, read this book, and it's like, oh, you know, because again, like, I could have made that book out to be like, I'm Quentin, I bike from point A to point B, like, I'm a great athlete. But it's like, no one really wants to hear that story. And a, I don't really consider myself a, a great athlete. Like, I'm just a dude who had enough ambition, like me and my buddy, to hop on our bikes and like go see something crazy. And so, like, the point of the story is, if there is one, which I don't even know if there is, but it's like. I'm just an average guy from the Midwest who like has gone and done yeah. some cool things, but that doesn't mean like I'm special. It just means like anyone can do it if they have the ambition and a little bit of drive and effort. Um, and I think that's, what's kind of cool in many ways, not only about the books, but in those stories, but also my career. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I think that kind of leads to the first book where it all kind of kicked off with the long road North and kind of, so like, I know you kind of like get, you got in early about it. So you kind of had, you had an assignment for, you were in university at that time during college. 
And so you had a, um, you had an assignment due, you had to do, you know, you said like, you can either do a paper, you can write a narrative story or creative work. And so when you get back and you write, like, how long was your first draft of the long road north? I can't imagine it was that long when you turned it into that class. Well, it wasn't for a class. Remember, this was for like a thesis, like the, uh, oh, well, that's right. This is your master's program, right? Okay. I forgot yeah. about that. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yep. And so that, that was about a two year process, you know, off and on, I wasn't working on it every day, but it took about two years to ultimately finish it. And then, yeah, that's what it was. It was about 165 pages of a story. Wow. Okay. So it was like, it was full size at that point. You basically said like, when, when did you want to know you, or when did you know that you wanted to make it into a book? I think to be honest, when I was like going through a breakup in like the, my last year of grad school and I was like heartbroken and I'm like, I want to inject some meaning and some purpose into my life. And, um, I, I decided to publish that book. And I, again, it was very quickly, like I submitted to a publisher and don't want to pretend like I'm anyone special again. Like this was, this was a pay for play. So it's like, they yeah. said, Hey, we're only going to take 10 manuscripts, but if you can pay us $4,000, we'll, we'll take your book and we'll publish it. And I was like, Oh, I'm going to do that for sure. Yeah. And, uh, had I not gotten broken up with, like, to be honest, Sam, maybe that book never hits the bookshelves because I would have just been complacent or content with my lot in life. But so it's just kind of funny how things work out. Yeah. So it was kind of like that one thing that propelled the other thing. You kind of you restore some. Was it to like a restorative process? Did it kind of like restore something in yourself that you had lost with, you know, ending things with that woman or what was it? I think I was, I, and not to get too into it, but I was again so heartbroken that that just fueled me throughout that publishing process, throughout going on the story that ultimately ended up in the long road east. Like, and even probably to some respects to today is like. I almost want to prove to my ex-girlfriend who probably never even thinks about me like, Hey, like I'm legit. Like I'm a somebody sort of thing. And it sounds yeah. maybe rather pathetic, but like, I, yeah, you need motivation in the world to keep going. Right. Like, and that's yeah. probably a little bit of like where my fuel and my fire comes from. And I'm not going to dramatize it and say like, I think about that every day, but you know, every once in a while, especially up here in Minnesota, it gets cold in the winter. Yeah. It's like, yeah. yeah. Like what's going to keep me hungry? Like what's going to keep my stove burning and it's it's probably like reflecting on past traumas like that yeah no i i i agree i agree and i think that it's um you know it's interesting because i i was on uh cameron haynes's podcast uh the keith hammering collective kicked off a couple of weeks ago i don't know if you follow him at all but he had chris williamson on and chris williamson i i think incredibly highly of him i think he's one of the smartest people i have heard talk especially from a younger point of view. he's only like in his mid-30s but he's a very very smart person and so Chris said this great point, and it's not a new point, but he's, the way he phrased it was, I think, very, very well. He's like, all, most all great people that he knows, both in the broader culture and in his personal life, they all came from a place of insufficiency in some way or another. All, they all came from a place of, of lack, of insecurity, of doubt, of getting shit on their whole life, whether that's someone like, like, like Trump or Biden or you know any of these people that are in bit, Elon Musk or any of these other people that are really, really successful. Steve Jobs was a lot like this. They all kind of came from like, uh, okay, I'm going to do this because fuck this person mentality. Like that, that was their mentality for all this kind of stuff, whether it was kind of like their dad not being there or their mom kind of like being way too, I would say like enveloping and all this, like suffocating them, a girl, a guy, something else like a friend, kind of all this, all this stuff stabbing them in the back, whatever. Like it all comes from the same place of kind of just a, 
a want to a want to tell them to go to go fuck themselves for lack of a better term at the end of the day that that's kind of where it comes from and, and so in that kind of a sense you know it's not that uncommon that's where all creation comes from it comes from a great sense of i think you know it's a lack of meaning to your point and it's a lack of kind of it's and it's replacing something that you have lost with something that either can or cannot really create the same thing back inside of yourself that you had once had Certainly. Well, Sam, so uh, I want to flip that a little bit back on you then. You're a guy, super smart, yeah. got your degree, you know, you're in a nice career here at Oracle. Well, what drives you, you know, because when I interviewed you a couple months back, you had talked about, you know, I want to write four books and then find my wife, have a couple kids and kind of, you know, live life at that point. But but what's driving you? Because, you know, again, I find that fascinating. You're a guy who, if I was just see a headshot of you, I'd think, all right, like that guy's just kind of a, a standard corporate America worker. But, you know, obviously getting to know you, there's so much more beneath the surface. So what, what is your motivation or motivator if there is one? For the longest time, it was anger. I was a very, very angry person for most of my – and that, that only subsided very – like probably within the past year or year and a half. I, I, I think I spent for – you know, obviously I think as a child you're naturally kind of happy in whatever in most cases unless you're being – God forbid you're being abused or like your dad's throwing you down the steps or whatever. I was not that. My dad is great. But I came from a place of like, of really just like, I kind of compare it to, I don't know if you're a Marvel fan. I'm not a Marvel fan, but I, I like some of the Marvel movies. So you throw back to like the first Avengers movie and my favorite part of probably the entire the MCU, the, I stopped watching after the, the last Avengers movie that came out. But like up until that point, my favorite scene in the entire MCU saga was when, um, you know, so like the, the Avengers, they're like they're, um, Thanos' army is attacking New York. They have all the aliens are literally coming down, like all the kind of stuff. And they do the scene where they're, the Avengers get in a circle and they're kind of doing like their flexes at the camera. And they're like, ah, like, let's go fucking kick the shit out of these aliens, whatever. And so then um, uh, Captain America turns around to uh, Bruce Banner, who is the Hulk, and he says, you know, Dr. Banner, I think we're going to need you to get angry. And then he says, that's my secret, Captain. I'm always angry. And then he turns into the Hulk and then he jumps in and like downs the ship with like a big, with one of his fists and starts like ripping people to shreds and all that kind of stuff. And, and I really, really related to that. I didn't really relate to Bruce Banner. I kind of did something where um, a big character that I, that I don't know if you watched the show growing up, but I loved Avatar The Last Airbender growing up and a big character that I related to in that show was Zuko. Like I related to Zuko and I still relate to Zuko more than any other character in in I think maybe everything I've ever seen, to be quite honest with you, the guy who was kind of just, he was very isolated. Um, he kind of, you know, thought that is, this is not the case with my parents, but for the longest time, I thought that they favored my, my brother and sister over me, all this kind of stuff, like whatever he got picked on. He wasn't that talented. He wasn't that good at stuff. And he was very just kind of angry at the world again with that fuck you mentality, but it's like, to, like I want to burn everything down, not just this one specific person. So for the longest time for me, I was highly, highly angry with a lot of other things. And it was only to, you know, a, a lot of things kind of coming together at once. And, and I'm so blessed that it did where now it's not coming from a place of anger. It's coming from a place of just, I want to, I want to see what my potential is and not because I can say, I told you so about my potential. It's about that. I can say like, I want to just see how far I can go. And so it's been, there's still that anger there. I don't think it ever goes away. And I actually think a healthy amount of anger is good in a lot of ways. But for me, that's where it came from in a lot of ways, at least for the, for the vast majority of my life up until pretty recently. That's interesting. 
<clears throat> excuse me. Yeah, it's it's just a powerful motivator, anger, you know, like I'll throw it back to that breakup where it was like all these people who were my friend when I was in that relationship, they're gone. All these women who were interested in me, like because uh-huh. I was probably in a relationship, they disappeared, you know, they were no longer interested. And I was I remember just being like like I'll I'll tie that to the red pill community, right? How the red pill they talk about, you know, guy like life as a man is hard. And it's like, yeah, like does the red pill go too far with that interpretation and analysis? Absolutely. But yeah, like as a guy, you will be alone. You will go through some tough times and you will have to dig yourself out. Like that is a reality. And so, you know, it's trauma, you know, looking back on it, it's trauma, but does that give me justification to go and do whatever I want? No, it just means like, if you can channel that frustration, that anger you have towards situations or towards people into a healthy way, like I think you and I have, you can do some really powerful things. And I think that's cool. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, that was kind of my thing where I made that big switch. But I wanted to ask you too, what was the biggest thing after the long road north? What was the biggest thing that changed about you during and after that trip? Like what was that kind of, was there any metamorphosis there with kind of how you looked at life, how you looked at the world, how you looked at yourself? Was there anything that really kind of, was there any switch that was flipped when you were kind of doing all those things? The long road north, the the actual story or the publishing of the book? I would say both, just kind of the whole experience in general. Okay. I'll start with the actual experience of riding my bike to Canada with my buddy. Um, Yeah, like when we got done with that trip, it was kind of like anything's possible, you know, and obviously two years later, post-grad school, my buddy and I, we hopped on our bikes and went on another trip. Um, But I'd say with the book publishing process, a lot of fear. Like when that book came out, I just, I couldn't sleep some nights. I'm like, man, people are going to judge me. Like my life could potentially be in a very precarious position here over the course of the next few months. And like, yeah, did people judge me? Did some good things happen? Did some bad things happen? Absolutely. But that's all part of the process. And like, you just have to go through it. You know, like, it's not going to be easy. You're not going to like, I kind of, I joke about this in my upcoming third book, but I was like, you know, Mm -hmm. I foolishly imagined that when I published Long Road North, like all 987 of my Facebook friends would buy my book and support me. It's like, no, like probably about three are going to buy it. You know what I mean? And, um, but you have to go through it. Like you have to be like blissfully ignorant and think like the world's going to love you for making this effort. And then you have to go through the struggle of realizing no. And like, that's kind of my superpower. I think is like, I'm just willing to keep going because I understand whatever happens is part of the process as opposed to me necessarily doing something wrong or right. Yeah. And I think it's perfect that you, that you, you know, you wrote a book about, you know, just a, a really rigorous cycling trip twice because, you know, the, the thing that stood out to me about that answer was just endurance. And that is what a long, that's what the long road north and east is. It's a, it's a spectacle of endurance. You need to have the strength to just keep pushing when shit gets really, really tough. And, you know, I, I, like I, I was going to say, I, you know, what, the last thing about your first book that I was going to mention is that, like, you did this in the, the dead of winter. Like, I'm from the Midwest, too. It gets, and, and, like, I'm not from the really, you're from the really cold part, like up in Minnesota. So, like, I, I'm from Ohio. Ohio gets pretty cold. Minnesota gets really fucking cold and you're up there and you're all this kind of stuff. You're riding bikes through the winter and the snow and all that kind of stuff. And so that's like, that's a lot of adversity, man. Like that, that's kind of like, you know, that's, that's a lot of things happening all at once. And so like for, for you, like what I would say, the question that I wanted to ask around that is that, you know, you, you knew this was going to be very, very difficult and you knew you were going to be doing all this kind of stuff and you knew that it was probably going to suck a majority of the time. So why did you still let yourself indulge in something that was going to be very, very difficult? Probably the 
the pursuit of greatness, right? Or at least the sort of belief that something great would come out of it because, yeah, I mean, you think about living in Minnesota, right? So spring break every year, everyone goes south to Mexico, to yeah, Florida, yeah. somewhere nice where they can go on the beach, have some mojitos, whatever. And my buddy and I, like, we had sort of built up a tolerance for cycling earlier that fall, like doing a number of trips around our college town. Yeah. And we just kind of like got, well, actually it was his idea. He's like, dude, let's bike to Canada over spring break. And I'm like, yes, we're doing it. I don't even know why I said yes, other than if we were able to accomplish this, it's going to feel so good. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, going on that trip, yeah, it was cold. Like I, I think five miles in, I wanted to turn around and like go spend <laughs> spring break with my girlfriend. But I'm like, I'd yeah. just be letting everyone down. Um, you know, at the time we had got on a few radio shows. We were featured on uh, the front page of a newspaper and there really wasn't any turning back. You know, like if you tell people we're going to bike to Canada and then like a couple small news outlets pick that up, uh, you better die on the road. Um, yeah. or you better get there. Because if you turn around and just say, well, I was kind of over it. It's like, well, geez, man, like I couldn't even respect myself. So I can't imagine how yeah. other people would. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's a lot of things. It's personal challenge fear of being judged and then wanting external validation, which are all very real human emotions. And, you know, a bike trip sucks. Like, dude, it was really windy. It was really cold and it was never easy except for a few stretches. But in all honesty, I don't think I ever become a writer if I don't go through those, because like to use your word endurance, you have to be willing to endure things as a professional or creative, whatever. Like it's just not, it's never going to be easy. And if it was, you'd get nothing good out of it. Yeah. Agreed. And, and so did that solidify your plans for the, cause I know like a big theme in both the long road East and the long road North was that, you know, kind of a genuine, like uncertainty that I think a lot of young people deal with in their twenties and like kind of graduating, like, okay, so I'm in college, but like, what comes after, what comes after this, like everything else. Like, and so you have really thrown yourself head first into being a writer for people and, and, you know, being a journalist, being a writer, doing all this kind of stuff. So in the publishing of the first book and kind of using your bike trip in the long road north as the first kind of catalyst to get into that space, did that kind of solidify your plan to kind of go into that space when you published your first book and were like, okay, I really, I really enjoy doing this, both the cycling and the trips and the adventure and the writing and documenting all that kind of stuff. Did that really solidify that for you? Absolutely. And when you say solidify, it's like as a writer, correct? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was that that solidified it again like if you put a book out there like whether you like it or not you're going to be branded as a writer and um from there like i never thought like okay it's just gonna be a one-off you know like as soon as that book was published and i finished like the long road east trip then i began writing the second book and i just kept going like it's just because i know like and you've seen it like the evolution from the person and the writer and book one to book two it's there and that's Mm -hmm. what i think is so fun about being a writer being a creative is like there's always the chance for evolution and within evolution, a lot of good things can happen. Like, of course I could flame out or no one, you know, I'll never have some sort of huge platform, but that isn't even really the goal. The goal is just to continually evolve as an individual and as an artist. And I've been able to do that. And it's been a lot of fun to like, again, have conversations with people like you who notice that maturation process. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's almost priceless in a way. It is. Yeah. And so that leads us kind of to the, the long road East, which, is like I said, like when I read it, I, you you recommended that I re- read the Long Road East before the Long Road North, so I thought that was also very interesting. And so I read it, and I thought it was like I like that that's your masterpiece in my opinion. And I have the manuscript for the third book, kind of like it's literally pulled up on the other window of my thing. I'm going to read it this weekend, and I'm really excited about it. But so the 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 second book, the Long Road East, was kind of basically saying like you know, okay, I'm going to take the first, I'm going to take the Long Road North, and I'm going to do it on steroids. 
and I'm going to do it over several weeks and I'm going to kind of give, go like across like basically half the country at this point. So, so kind of for one, I would say, um, detail kind of what that extension and that carryover from the long road North to long road East was, and what made you decide to want to double down on both the adventurous aspect and the writing aspect, because it was going to like, you took something that was already really hard to do. And then you said, you know, like for lack of a better term, fuck it, I'm going to double like all of this stuff and just go all in on this type of thing. Probably to a healthy, to an unhealthy extent, rather, I am addicted to the truth. Like I find it fascinating. Um, mm. You know, some people shy away from it. For me, it's like that story was, it was what it was. A lot of debauchery, a lot of women, a lot of gray goose, like, but yeah. it was what it was. It was like the time of my life at 24, 25, you know, and it's, it's funny because the first book I think was a lot about like the actual cycling, which can get kind of repetitive and boring. The second one was really, yes. there was almost nothing to do with the cycling. It was almost, it was just about like the evolution of me as an individual, my relationship right. with my buddy, Sam, ironically. Um, Cause that's it, again, like that's what's so cool about if you just keep going is like the long road North would, if it was, that was the only book I ever wrote. It's like, okay, cool. You tried, but it's not good. The long road yeah. East. It's like, yeah. Yeah. now I know how to write a book. I know how to publish a book. I know how to market a book. And I will not claim to be an expert on any of those things, but when you ask like, well, why did you double down and, you know, let's just call it like Dan Bilzerian and light your way through that trip. It's like, well, that's the life I was living. That's the life I wanted to live in that moment. Uh, here I sit at age 30. I'm like, oh geez, how is that 24 year, 25 year old guy getting through life? Like that's hectic and chaotic, but that's, right. that's who I genuinely wanted to be. And in writing that story, I realized like, just tell it how it is. Like, well, why are you chasing all these women around like on Tinder when you're on a bike trip? It's like, because that's what I wanted to do, you know, post relationship. Because um, yeah, yeah. I mean, give me your opinion. Like I could have easily made that book PG or try to be like, yes. yo, we're putting on all these miles. We're so cool. Yes. It's not what it's about though. Like, uh, so what would be your interpretation of that? I read it like a John Hughes movie. I thought it was a coming of age story. And that's kind of why I thought it was so good because I loved those movies growing up. Like I, I love kind of like the thing where like, someone you know and this is something we'll get into later and, and i'm actually very curious to get your take on that on that type of a um a scenario but I, I read it as a coming of age story and i thought that you were basically saying like this is my growth from a like this like i'm like you know to your point like i'm kind of a piece of shit i'm kind of like this or whatever like i'm doing all this sort of thing and i'm just gonna let you know about it and kind of see how i was kind of from here to now and all this sort of thing i'm gonna tell you in detail about all these experiences when like I, I called my buddy fat or I met this girl on Tinder and he called me a piece of garbage and he like, you know, he, you know, kind of promoted his insecurity on me, all this other kind of stuff. And it was very, it was very human. I thought it was very, very human. And that was what was so good about it. And, you know, you had all of these things where it's like, you know, it would seem like from the out, like, like, so for example, like, you know, like you, you and Sam got in a lot of fights on, on the road and all that kind of stuff, like just petty shit, like mostly and all that kind of stuff. And so a lot of people would read that and kind of say like, okay, like guys just being petty, whatever, like that's kind of stupid. I would never do that. But then they think back five minutes later and like, oh, I just did that at breakfast this morning with my wife. Like, and so they would like do all that kind of stuff where it's like, it's things that we all do, but you were very honest about how people just honestly just go about doing them without even thinking about it. And it's all so stupid and, and monotonous and kind of like just so, you know, degenerative to who we are as humans. But we all do them and we all participate in them, whether we want to admit it or not. So that was like, when I said refreshing earlier, that's kind of what I meant by it. For sure. And I really appreciate that compliment. Um, truthfully, you know, like it just gotten a number of really good compliments about that same thing. And that's what my goal was to be authentic and tell an honest story. 
that hopefully entertains people, makes them laugh, makes them cringe, all those things. And I think I was able to do that, you know, and um, in that sense, I'm very proud of, of that work in all yeah. honesty. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, and I think like, does, do you think that gives you an edge over other people that you're willing to kind of just say how it is? You're willing to be more of a documentarian versus someone that kind of is just crafting like a, a nice happy ending story with all that other kind of stuff. Do you think that there is, there is something in there that says like, okay, I'm using all of these things to not only document what I have, but make it somewhat entertaining to a reader where they'd be kind of just like, they'd be more involved and they'd be more invested and they kind of see how all that sort of stuff kind of pans out. Like, is that, was that a part of your rationale behind all that kind of stuff also? I think so. And, uh, you know, again, it, it probably sounds, um, <laughs> probably just sounds annoying at this point, but I'll use the word authentic. It's like, I had to tell it how it was. I had to tell these stories how they were because mm -hmm. I didn't want to at all portray myself as something other than what I was in that moment. And yeah. to be able to give, like, the power in that is I'm able to give people something to relate to, but then I'm not worried about crafting a persona. Like, if your brand, like, I'll say my brand is based around authenticity. Like, the people who read yes. my books are like, okay, this guy's a straight shooter. And the beautiful thing about that is, like, unlike a politician, let's say, or a business owner is I don't have to cater to the masses. Like, and people yes. don't expect it of me. You know what I mean? Like, I think it would be so exhausting to be like, let's just use Joe Biden as an example, where it's like, he can't really ever tell you how he thinks about anything. And I get like, that's his career and all these other things. But like, I couldn't live like that, where it's like, all right, I whether regardless of what I think on some political issue, I'm just going to tell people what I think they want to hear, because that will enhance my standing. Like, what a terrible way to live. Like, I get it. You know, you'll make your millions if you're Joe Biden and you're a successful politician. But do you honestly go home at night and think, like, I'm I'm put, I'm put a net positive in the world? You know what I mean? Like, I yeah. couldn't live like that. I couldn't. Yeah, because, you know, it, it, you kind of – you'd lose your individuality when you do something like that. You kind of lose – like, this is kind of something I've been thinking about a lot about this week is that, like, let's just say you are – like, you are Joe Biden, for example. It's like you're not just Joe Biden anymore. You're, you're the president of the United States. Like the president of the United States has a, a type, he has a look, he has a character, he has all this kind of thing that he has to really conform to in a lot of senses. And when you are not that, the pressure to be like that is just so immense from so many different powerful people. It's kind of like they're all, you know, peer pressuring each other almost in a sense where it's like, you know, you have to fit this certain mold. And I think the really refreshing thing about being creative, whether that's your designing suits, like our buddy Joseph Hines, whether you're kind of doing what you do or what I do or everything else, you can kind of design that shit however the hell you want. And you can kind of create your own brand in that sense. You don't have to kind of fit into one another thing and see how it all works. You can kind of just say like, you know, okay, here's how everything is where we're going to do all this stuff on the front end and the back end. This is how it's going to work. And then, you know, you're just going to fit in the middle. And with this, you, it's a terrifying proposition, but you get to design all of the process, the beginning, the middle, the end, all the details involved and all that kind of stuff. And you get to totally be the master of your fate and the captain of your soul in that kind of a sense. Mm -hmm. And it, it takes, I think, kind of a special personality in the sense of it's polarizing the way you and I live, the way, well, Joseph Hines probably isn't, he probably doesn't consider himself super polarizing, but like for you, I think Joe's, Joe's handsome, than, uh, he's more handsome than me. So maybe he can get away with all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if he has to scrounge in the filth like me, but I don't know. Well, like my point being is like he yeah, like, yeah, I know you're saying. he's very an inherent risk and we're polarizing. And again, you have to have sort of a unique personality because most people just want to like fit in. They want to conform and they want to go through life and that's totally fine. 
there isn't really any sort of riches in the niches that way. I'll use that expression. Um, mm. You know, but like to tie it back to like what we're talking about, like Joe, like here's the thing why I think people like Trump and I, I like Trump, not because I think he's a great like politician or he's super intelligent, but like he would just tell you what it was like the things he would tweet, the, th- the things he would say, you're like, I think he actually believes that unlike Joe Biden, where, you know, I don't, I don't know if he actually believes what he's saying. And like, that's cool. But like, when you think, talk about things like leadership or when you talk about things like, is this a guy I want to go to war with? I don't want to go to war with Joe Biden because I don't actually know how he feels about anything. Whereas we have Donald Trump. I think he's, again, forget politics. His personality is just so much more intoxicating. And yeah, I, yeah. I never really even think about Donald Trump, except when we were talking about like Joe Biden and things like that. But like, I like, I like just living authentically because it's like, it'll attract the people I want it to attract. And will there be people who are like, wow, I do not like Quentin Super for X, Y, and Z reasons? Absolutely. But like, that's fine. I'm not, I'm never going to make anyone happy. And you know, I think I learned that at a young age, like eighth or ninth grade, Sam, where it's like, I just yeah. want people to be my friend. Well, like a lot of people didn't. And I'd be like, well, why? You know, I'm a nice person. I'm a nice guy. Or like yeah. when you start to get into dating, you know, you can't get a girlfriend. It's like, well, why? Like, I'm nice. It's like, well, that's not how the world works. And I, I shouldn't, I'm not saying it like, you know, high schoolers just try to be polarizing when they're trying to get a girlfriend but like you see my point right is like yeah, eventually yeah. Something, people will be attracted to it or they won't and at least you're just leaning into reality as opposed to trying to run away from it yeah no i, I think that's a good way to put it because you know there are a lot of people who just kind of they they i was just listening to um you know I, I was listening to the to um you know i was on a pretty long jordan peterson interview where he's on a panel with a bunch of other people and and the thing that one of the things that he talks about that i think is really powerful is that you know, he, when you live by lies, you don't know who you are as a person by definition. And like, when you're not kind of presenting yourself in that kind of a way, like, like, I don't think that a lot of politicians, a lot of CEOs, a lot of other people, because they're in, they're having to be put in such a box. I think they lose their sense of identity after a while. And I think, and I'll have, and I'll ask you kind of a follow-up about my book is that, you know, in the first chapter, one of the most important parts of the book is I talk about polarization in the first parts of the book. And when you adopt values, you have to polarize people. And so is that kind of what you were meaning by kind of doing a bunch of things while saying like, whether it's not, you know, it's not values per se when you're doing a creative work, but you know, your values are printed all over whether you want to say it or not. I mean, whether that's, you know, you're, you're making a rap album, you're writing a book, it's all the same thing. And so your values are going to be on it, whether you want to admit it or not. But I, I didn't know if that was what you were getting at or not or not. Sorry. Yeah. I think you articulated more eloquently than I did. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, whether you're directly or indirectly articulating your values, like people will pick up on like, well, how does this guy think sort of thing, right? Like I can yeah. say something that's like politically laced. Someone's going to like derive the meaning of that. Like, okay, I think I know where this guy stands politically, but I'm not going to openly come out and be like, this is what I think about this thing politically or this person. Cause no one really cares about my opinion, but if you can kind of like synthesize right. it again with some storytelling, it's a little more interesting. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And to lead into that kind of, or to build off of that, like one more kind of question on that. So like I said, like you're like when, I think one of the most shocking things about your book was that, you know, when I first met you, when we did that first Zoom a couple months ago, and we kind of, I think it might've been when we, when you did um, my feature article, which I'm so very grateful for my first ever feature article I ever got you know, featured in. And you, you came off as like you come off of now, you're very well put together. You kind of, you know, you're kind of, you're very articulate, obviously you kind of know how to do everything else like that. But you you presented yourself in the book as someone who is very much not that person at the time where you wrote that book and you were kind of like someone that was had a lot of work to do personally in a lot of ways so like in that kind of a sense like going through your first two books and i'm excited to see what your third book is like to kind of see 
you know, where everything is kind of going to be going in the future. But like in terms of your cycling quests that you've gone on and all the travel, because I know you're, you've, you're a world traveler, you're, you've been all around the world, you've been in a bunch of different places. How did all of that involve you, particularly in your, in your bike trips and your first two books in the Long Road series? How did that involve you becoming a better person, do you think? Like, how did that improve your, your positioning of yourself to say, like, you know, I, I probably need to get better in this area or the other area? Like, did, did that have any impact on kind of your personal growth in terms of how you saw yourself? It's a very good question. I think a lot of, I, I think it developed a lot of conviction based around those trips. Um, mm-hmm. Meaning, when you go out and you do things of that nature, and I'm not trying to make it sound like I've you know, traveled to the moon or anything like that. But when you just go out and do things, you develop a certain level of competence and also just a, you develop more of an identity. And that identity, I think, over time became more and more solidified. I was also very – I benefited tremendously from, like, Sam, the guy, the character in the book. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was just like, hey, look, man, I'm going to hold you accountable. When I do things that you that I don't like, I'm going to tell you. And it's like – it was a husband and, and wife almost dynamic in the sense of like, I would do what I wanted to do. And then he'd, he'd clap back and I didn't like it. But like in hindsight, would I just want someone who lets me do anything I want and I never suffer any repercussions within the context of that relationship or friendship? Absolutely not. And so I think, you know, again, if you were to encompass everything like the traveling and things of that nature, I just learned how to not do a lot of things, but I also met a lot of really smart people these last five or six years who kind of steered me in the correct direction. And, I, you know, again, the guy at 25 years old that you read about in the long road East, that guy's not sustainable. You know what I mean? But he's 25 yeah, right. years old yeah. and he should be like, he should be behaving like that. Right. Like pent up testosterone, fresh out of a relationship due to infidelity. It's like, well, I'm not yeah. going to go and like, let's say wife, the next woman I date, that'd be a total waste of throwing away a good relationship. You know what I mean? So I almost yeah, have to go and sure, be like an sure. idiot just to like justify my past behavior. That's so funny. That's so funny the way you put, I, I think, I think that's hilarious. And I think that's the other thing that was kind of like, I remember, you know, I, you know, cause you never know, right. I mean, and you never knew with my book, you never know. I never knew with your books about like, like, because I remember, um, shout out to, shout out to both of our mutual friends, uh, Yinka Famadu, who runs the financial literacy Institute. So Yinka, he was my roommate when I went down to Miami in the standard. And I, I remember he, I didn't really know anyone in the standard at this point. I saw people on like the discord avatars and all that sort of thing. And I got my roommate match from, uh, there was an Excel sheet that got sent about like who's room with who and whatever down in Miami. And I was roommates with Yinka. And so then I see Yinka add me on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, I think like the, the night of, which is, which is so Yinka to kind of, you know, now, now that we both know him, he's very like prompt and on time for with all that kind of stuff. I, I love him to death for it. But anyway, so, and I see that he's like, he said, he's like the head of the, fi- uh, like a financial literacy company. I'm like, Oh God, it's one of those people. Like, it's one of those people that kind of have like all those, like a, like a financial literacy guy. Like, you know, you know what I mean? And so like, you know, the, and like, and that's the, and it granted, you know, shout out to finance, financial literacy Institute. It's not that I'm part of the program now. It's very much worth the money. Shout out to finance, financial literacy Institute. But going back to like, you know, when someone says like, they have like, like it's the equivalent of like if a, like I'm in like the mid 2000s and I'm like walking down a street in like Atlanta or something and a guy's handing out his mixtape for free on the sidewalk. I'm like, do I really want to fucking listen to this thing? Like when some wannabe kind of comes up and like gives me all this kind of thing. It's like, no. But then, you know, I remember, you know, the first part of your book where you I, it was like maybe a page or two with all that kind of stuff that you put inside of it. And, you know, you, you opened it with a line that said something like, you know, 
like cheating on your girlfriend isn't really like a good way to like kind of start out with, you know, start out your, your first summer as a free man and like a startup cycling trip or whatever. Like, Oh my God, like this is so cool. And you were just right up front with it with everything else. And I think that it's, it's so interesting to see kind of like your point about evolution earlier in terms of like how you level up as a person through your creative endeavors and kind of all that sort of thing where it's like, you know, even though you were kind of a piece of shit and we all are piece, like I was a big piece of shit in my book too. Like I, I was like a, you know, porn addict, you know, like degenerate, nearly fl college flunky, all that kind of stuff. And now it's like, I'm, I'm relatively put together as a human being. I'm not perfect, but I'm relatively put together. And so it's, it's interesting to kind of go back and see how all that stuff sort of works and how it all synthesized into a process where it makes it kind of beautiful to see all that stuff kind of pan out for people. Oh, absolutely. It's funny you mentioned those two traits that you used to exemplify. I, I, did, I forgot about that. Like, meaning yeah. perhaps your finished product, like that's just the person I remember. Like the, you know, obviously the guy who struggled with porn or uh, his grades, let's say. It's just like, to me, like maybe it's just me because I've gone through my own problems, but I'm like, all right, like the dude's got to go through something, you know, like you can't yeah. write, a, in my opinion, yeah. you can't write a good book if you're just like, I went and I got my four-year degree. Then I, you know, I met wifey and I got my job. It's like, that's great. I'm happy you're contributing to society. But like, what, what, what do you have to say? That's actually interesting. And that's, again, there's yeah. no condemnation attached to those words, but like, if you were to ask, well, why does Sam lacrosse write a good book? It's because, well, he's actually gone through some things a, but then B he's taking the time to reflect on those and figure out like, yeah, like some of this behavior, it's problematic. And most people aren't going to do that, Sam, as you could probably attest to, like most people are gonna be like, no, like, it's okay. I'm just gonna, I'm going to watch Pornhub and then eventually I'll meet her and I'll stop doing that. It's like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, and so again, just shot like props to you. It just takes a, it takes a ton of introspection and humility to be able to get to the level that you've gotten to. Well, thanks, man. I would say likewise on you as well. And I, and I think kind of like getting to like that culmination point, going back to your point earlier, this is a question I wrote down. I'm actually really glad you brought this up. So I was, I remember I, w I was listening to, I was listening to an interview with Shia LaBeouf, another one of our favorite people about all this kind of stuff. And one of our culture's favorite people, you know, you know, the cancel fest on that guy is just, you know, Lord have mercy. But there was, the, there was this one thing where I don't know if it was on uh, real ones with John Bernthal, who's another one of my favorite people ever, Johnny Bernthal, shout out to him. But he was in getting interviewed by somebody, I believe it might've been a, like a Catholic priest who has a podcast or something like that, because Shia LaBeouf is like a newly converted Catholic and he's very like, dedicated to like, you know, he's kind of like doing his whole, whole thing, although being in a, hopefully a more purposeful direction, but he was saying, he made a really interesting point about, uh, young men in particular and about rites of passes passage. And he says that in our culture right now, there are no rites of passage for young people. There's no, like, you, there's nothing like 300 where you go out and you fucking skin a giant animal and you come back in and you do whatever. And now you're a man. Like, it's just kind of like, it's an age. It's kind of an arbitrary thing. And now even that's kind of getting diluted to a point where it's like, we don't know what the cutoff is for maturity. We don't know. We don't really force our young people to really do anything to adopt all that for you. So flipping that over to you and the long road series, did you consider your cycling trips in and of themselves a rite of passage for you? Yes, definitely. And of okay. course, not one that anyone encouraged in many ways. Like my yep. parents, they weren't exactly like, hoorah, you know, go and do that, son. Like I'm sure they were worried for my safety. Um, but yeah, rites of passage is a, is a great way of putting it. Like I think young men in particular, I can't really speak to young women, but young men have to, I think they have to go out and they have to do things. It doesn't mean they have to do what you and I right. have done. It doesn't mean you have to go ride your bike anywhere. It just means like in whatever context works for you, like go and challenge yourself. Um, because it's going to build competence as a result. 
and again, like it's hard for me to generalize what should you go and do to develop those skills. But you know, like I think nice guys just get beat up in this world. I really do. And like, I say that as a guy who tried to be really nice, hoping that would work out. You know, what's sad. It's like <laughs> the more, not even mean, but just assertive and direct I've been, whether it's been with women in my profession, in my career, like I get what I want. And it's not yeah. because you know, it's just a matter of like, I'm going to put it out in the world. I'm going to tell you what I want. You're either going to like it or you're not. And if you don't sweet, we'll go our separate ways. But if you do like, I kind of look like a genius when in reality, I'm just expressing what I want. Right. Right. And it's, it's just saying like, you know, there is, there has been so much, you know, and I hate to sound like, you know, like, like a parent, like what I'm saying this, like, but there, like, there is no, there, there's no toughness in the world today in, in large capacity because we've removed the toughness from the, the need to be tough from a lot of people. Like we've kind of made everything cushy and warm and everything else. So it's like, I think it was, I forget who made this point once, but it's like, we have now created places where people run through mud and over obstacles and all this kind of stuff because we don't have to do that shit anymore. Like we have places where we can go and be like, there weren't any gyms in the Roman times. Like you had to be physically fit to survive back in those days. And even going through like the middle ages, like up until very recently, like there was like going to a place where you just said like, okay, I'm going to use this one specific geographical location in my town, my city, whatever, to put myself through physical exertion. Like people would have laughed at that back in the day because it's like, dude, my whole fucking life is physically exerting. Like, what are you talking about? And so th there was like a lot of things where, where it's kind of like we have to manufacture all these things. And I think that that concept makes a lot of people, particularly young people who aren't used to it, very, very uncomfortable. So to that point about, you know, saying that you need to do that in order to, I think, and I think to be a man in a lot of ways. For women, there are other things, but I think speaking as a guy, there is no, like there is no or I would say replacement for uh, baptism by fire. There is none. And you, whatever that is, that's up to you. Whether that's t biking across the country, writing a book, doing something really difficult, a physical challenge, a mental challenge, uh, breaking up with a bad relationship, something like that. It has to be something. And it's just up to you what that something is. And that's, I think, the hardest part, and it freezes a lot of people up, unfortunately. It does. Why do you think, Sam, why do you think the world... And why do you think the world's gone so soft, particularly men? Like my theory would be, you know, we're, we're in good times, but like the thing that kills me is like the way parents, not every parent, but a lot of parents, they raise their kids, particularly young boys to be soft. Like they don't teach them how to be men when it, it's just so counterintuitive to like letting your young boy become successful later on in life. Like, is it simply a matter of like times are good? We're not struggling for food. So yeah, like, let's not hold young junior to any, like, sort of standards. Let's just let him sort of float through life because life is so good he'll yeah. figure it out anyway or he won't die. Like, but your perspective on it, why, why are we so okay with asking less of men and in many ways kind of demonizing masculinity? So I think what you said is a good part of it. It's kind of like we don't really, quote, unquote, need it, which is a ridiculous concept in and of itself. Like, we, we always need men to be masculine. Like, we always need those type of people. Like, just like we always need women to be feminine, by the way, but or most women to be feminine. I don't want to get, you know, thrown off the, the Spotify airways, but, you know, in, 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 and of, in and of whatever. So, like, you know, the so everything in terms of, 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 of all that sort of stuff. But, but I also think that there is a – there's a more malevolent thing that's going on as well with a lot of these things. I think that there is a great – so Douglas Murray wrote uh, – so you read my top uh, 2022 books of, you know, last year, my top book. 
that I read all of last year was the War on the, the War on the West by Douglas Murray, who is one of my favorite authors in the book or authors in the in the sphere right now. He's fantastic. And so what Douglas Murray said, he kind of and the book was about cultural Marxism. It was about kind of like the, this kind of you know anti Western West anti Western anti Westernism or Western anti Westernism type of phenomenon. So people in the West kind of adopting a self-loathing about their own culture, which I thought was a very, very interesting concept and kind of like deteriorating it by forcing it and by tearing it down by force. And so I think that there are, have been so many movements in the past 60 years socially, whether that's, you know, modern feminism or uh, civil rights or, uh, you know, transgender rights getting more, you know, into the mainstream and gay rights and all this other kind of stuff. I think that there are a lot of people who think that the pie is big enough for everyone. And we just like we believe and the only really, you know, I would say subset of the population that really had it all going for them for the longest time in our country were straight white guys in a lot of ways, which is like why the straight white male, like, you know, like throw your hands up in the air like phenomenon is going so crazy right now. But in essence, a lot of that stems from a place where, okay, that could be a legitimate argument for a lot of things. But I think that there were a lot of people who saw it through an abundance mindset where they said like, okay. Men have all these rights. Why don't black men have these rights? Why don't women have these rights? Why don't gay people or transgender people, whatever you want to call Latino people, whoever. But there are another group of people who I think are looking at it through what Douglas Murray, he took a, a line from uh, Frederick Nietzsche, who is one of my favorite philosophers, in a book called The Genealogy of Morals. I don't know if you've ever heard of it before. It's a long, it's, a, it's an old text back in like, you know, late 18th century Germany, where he was saying that, you know, they talked of justice, but they actually wanted revenge on people. And I think that's kind of what a lot of it is in this point. Like a really like, especially like the anti-guy stuff where they kind of want men to kind of just abandon all that they've known throughout everything else. They say like, it's bad if you act masculine, it's bad that you go to what you're naturally inclined to do. There's, there's a certainly, I think a vengeant element inside of that thing. Like they want something to happen where, they are, they have either been hurt by a guy, they, they don't feel accepted by traditional masculinity, they want everything else like that. So they want that vengeant element to come back and say, okay, not only is this, is this kind of outdated, you don't need all this stuff anymore, but it's also wrong in all that kind of a sense. And so I, I don't think that that's everything, but I think that it is, it's, it's a big part of it for sure. I don't know if you feel the same way, but I think there's definitely something there with a lot of the things that are going on. Yeah, it's it's almost like a craving for for something easy, you know, and it, yeah. it bothers me because I don't know, man. I'm probably like a six and a half or a seven, but even a guy like me, you know, like <laughs> relatively good looking, like dude. I mean, you don't have to read too many chapters in that book to realize, okay, like this guy, by statistically struggles with women, right? Like someone will read that book and be like, wow, this guy's like hooked up with a lot of chicks. It's like, yeah, but like how many said no, you know? And so it's like if yeah. someone were to ask me, like, hey, like writes a passage like i want to like be more successful with women it's like well then go and try your best you know like this idea right. that right. it's going to be easy right especially like the men of today who are you know honestly a little bit soft like that they're going to appeal to the opposite gender um i don't know man like it, again some of this is a little bit above my pay grade like and that's why i want to introduce you to casey uh because casey's great at seeing things systemically yeah. like i see things yeah. more on like the individual level but um you know, to your point, like, yeah, I, th I think it's something more nefarious where it's like, mm -hmm. I'm not where I'm at in my life. That's why I think something like cancel culture exists. Cause why would you cancel someone you don't agree with? Like, as like, w what benefit does that have? Like, if you don't like what an individual said, just 
ignore them, you know, but yeah. when people right. take their prerogative to go and try to end that person's livelihood, I'm like, okay, like, this isn't good. We have to get this out of society because then what you get to after a certain point is like, we're only having one narrative, right? Whatever the person with the most power, whatever they want, we're going to cancel all other dissenting voices. And I mean, again, you don't have to be a historical savant to understand that's not a good way to run a society. Sure. Right. And I think we, we both got a good example of this this week. And I think that like, I didn't mean to do this, but you, you had texted me individually about the um, the accidental nuclear bomb that I lit off in the general chat of our Discord channel and, and for the standard when I when I had said um, you know some things about uh, this thing that was happening in my ro- romantic life and I knew when I when I sent that message it was sent not to say yay Sam like good for him all that kind of stuff it was not meant to say like okay like I'm so much better than all these people it was meant to be a source of encouragement and I think most people took that as that but there were a couple dissenting voices in terms of all that. And I heard it from them in private and in public on that channel. And, you know, there, but the thing with, that you said was crucial. So the, the, and I talked about this with, um, with who did I talk about this with? I talked about it with, uh, with Aaron Alanese. I talked about it with Ryan Barker. I talked about it with Jamal Dutton. I talked about it with a bunch of other people, shout out those three guys and all the others who reached out to me, but I talked to them about with it, about those three guys specifically. And I think I'm, I'm talking with you, about it to you now where it's that, we didn't throw those people out of the chat who are really out of pocket with what they said. We let them say what we, they wanted to say. We let them just kind of like, yeah, go ahead, say your opinion, all this kind of stuff. I said like, look, flood my inbox. I don't give a shit. But eventually the right opinion or, or the right method to come to that opinion came to the surface. And that was something that could not have happened if we just said, okay, I'm going to delete your comment right now and throw you out of the thing. Like that was, that was, that was, would have not happened. That would have not happened at all. And so it's allowing voices to be heard that will get the right voices to rise to the top. The cream always rises, my friend. You're from the Midwest. You got a lot of cows around you. You know, you know that shit more better than everyone else. So I mean, it's like, you know, at the end of the day, man, there's there's a lot of stuff that you can do to basically have a good debate and a good argument without throwing someone out of that debate or argument. Absolutely. And that's why I love what I've done. I'm sure you love what you've done, Sam, is because, okay, fast forward 15 years, we are either getting canceled, like we're getting thrown out of this country, you know, for having an opinion, or what's going to be awesome is people are going to look back and like, dude, those guys in their 20s, like took a chance, said something, we tend to agree with it, whether we like the story or not, like, we're going to polarize, but it's likely to work out, you know, as again, we could very like, if we live in a communist state in 15 years, all right, it don't matter, like we're out. Yeah, like, but we're, like we're, that's we're, we're, going, we're going to the gulags already. Yeah, like that, that's that's a done. Yeah, that's a done deal. Yeah, because your evolution, my evolution, like, dude, when we're forty, it's like, dude, think of where we're gonna be if we just keep going. You know, like again, I talked about like the quality of the long road north versus the long road east and the sort of that progression. Yeah, like, give me, give you 10, 15 years. Like, dude, what what are the possibilities? Again, forget money, status, any of those things. But what kind of value could we inject into the world? Whether that's through the theoretical or just through pure entertainment, which is probably more what I do, uh, man, it has me excited. It really does. Yeah, yeah dude. No, it's it, it, it's awesome, man. Like, it, it's badass. And I think, like, kind of just capping, like, either capping off or kind of moving on to that other things. Like, so I think one of the more entertaining aspects about your second book versus your first book was that you had a lot more characters because you stayed with all of the all of the all of your hosts that you had when you biked across the country. And I had no idea that that existed. So that was a strange element to me in and of itself. And it made it all the more entertaining, but what would you say you learned most about 
human nature, both through your adventures and your writing? Like, what would you say you learned most by interacting with all the people you did on the road and throughout all that kind of process? Everyone's a little bit different. Everyone's kind of got their things. Like, it's yep. hard. Like, because humans are, we're all kind of the same in many ways in terms of what we want at our core, but we're also different. Like, there's a lot of nuance within that. Um, you know, it, it's a tough question to answer. I'll say this people in the Midwest, a little bit more friendly, a little bit more down to earth. As soon as we got out to the East Coast, things became a little bit more transactional. It's like, all right, what time yep. are you showing up at my place? When are you leaving the next morning? And like, I kind of like it because I'm a little bit of a spaz, but like, we didn't really make too many connections out east. Whereas back here in the Midwest, it's like, man, like these are just really genuine people. They're opening up their home to you because they want to see you succeed. Where I thought people on the East Coast were a little bit more like, all right, I went on a bike trip, I'm reciprocating, but I don't really want your like stinky ass here sort of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. But people like, so it's hard. It's really hard to say what I've learned about people. Like they're all different, but I think if you can treat them all with respect and kindness, you're going to move through this world relatively easily. Yeah. I agree. I, I agree. Do you see the world differently after embarking on such a journey? And if so, why and how? Of course, I see it differently. And it's because anything's possible, man. Again, I'm just a dude from the su from a suburb of Minneapolis. Like, you know, like, it's funny, because here in the Twin Cities, we kind of like make fun of people who grow up in like a rural part of Minnesota, or like, they're, if they grow up in the Dakotas, we're like, geez, like, are you a farmer, you know, something like that. But the world's so much bigger than the Twin Cities here. Like someone in New York is going to look at me and be like, you know, who is this peasant sort of thing? Like it's <laughs> it's just kind of interesting in that respect. And I kind of lost yeah. my train of thought as far as where I was going with that. But no, um, no, what was the initial – what was that initial question? Sorry, I got too excited. No, 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 no. I, I think you're fine. It's just kind of like, you know, do you see like do you see the world differently after going on such a, a, a big thing and kind of doing a really, really difficult task and meeting all these people – and, you know, having these kind of inner struggles where you had this really big coming of age style transformation with yourself. Yeah, it just reminds me again, like I'll reiterate anything is possible. Like if a guy like me, you know, again, I'm not, aff I didn't grow up in an, the affluent class. Like I'm not in the affluent class, but like I budget my money appropriately and I go out and I do things. Um, anything is possible. I'll, I'll just reiterate that again, because I really think if an individual makes a concerted effort to do things, they can really get to that point and do what they want to do. Awesome. Yeah. So like kind of maybe a little bit off of what you just said, it's hard to make it in the world as a writer. And I know because I am one and I, I blew a lots of thousands of dollars on, on several that I will not get back probably ever. Um, but for, for others out there who want to try it, what would you say are the essential components of trying to make it as a writer? Like in both in terms of like what they need to do personally and what they need to do as a business proposition to get people to say like, okay, this is a publishable author with a viable product. What, what advice would you give those people? I would say be bold, be original and be good. Meaning yeah, you know, obviously you have to have grammar, right? You have to be able to like put the periods where they have to be, but like, Beyond that, I mean, we've talked about this, like how many guys, how many books have you read or manuscripts where you're like, man, this is like, there's nothing here. And whether that's because the content isn't good or they're just not talented writers, like you have to be able, you have to be willing to say something um, as a writer. Like that's how you're going to stand out. But even within that, like I always tell people like writing the book, that's almost the easy part. The hard part is like selling that thing, becoming marketable. Right. Like easily. Yes. to the second part of that question, you have to become a brand. Like you have a podcast. Um, you know, obviously you do other things. Like for me, it's like, I don't just write books. Like I, I have a profitable website that I run where I interview other people, where I'm taking my talents, 
and providing value to them to hopefully make their lives a little bit better. Like you have to be creative as a writer. It can't just be like, I'm talented. I can write a book because even if you're Stephen King and no one knows who you are, like it's not going to matter. Like you have to try to get your name out there by becoming a brand. And I think a really good way of doing that is to try to help other people accomplish their goals. And I'm not saying people should necessarily do what I do um, because it's hard. It takes a lot of work and it's thankless in many ways. At least it was up until, you know, about a year ago. But um, yeah, write good, tell something, tell a compelling story that's original and then become a brand. You know, you're not just a writer. Um, I like case in point, I don't consider myself to be the best writer, the most creative writer, anything like that. I'm just probably one of the more bold people who happens to like to write. Yes. And so like, okay, here we have a book sort of thing. But I guarantee you, there's a ton of people who you'll never hear of who are more talented than me. But all they're going to do is put that thing on a Word document and they're too afraid to ever send it out in the world or they're going to self-publish it. And then they're just going to hope like all these roses come their way. And it's like, nah, man, again, just writing the book, that's only the beginning. You have to go and spend the next couple of years actually turning yourself into a marketable brand. Yeah, I agree. I agree 100%. And that that was the thing that really clocked me across the face in my first book where I was where I, I just thought that it's a sense of entitlement almost where a lot of people say like, I did this thing, so go get this thing. It's like, well, well, no, that's like that's not how it works. Like, I mean, you have to go out and actually, you have to you have to do work on the back end just as much, if not more, than you did on the front end. Because if you did all the work on the front end, what you do on the back, or, or then you, what you do on the back end doesn't matter really in a lot of ways. If you don't really do anything else, I mean, no one's no one's gonna read it. No one's gonna read it. And I think I think like there are very few people like you know going back to the to the Nietzsche point. So um, when Nietzsche wrote his book, um, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, which in my opinion is one of the most influential books in the history of books, to be quite honest with you. It's one of the most, in, like, you know, that's the kind of the death of God concept, everything else. It's, it's a remarkably important book for, for all of our time. That book sold 40 copies before someone discovered it. And then it got yeah. to like a bunch of other people. And then like a lot of Nazis or like Hitler read it, all that kind of stuff and a bunch of other things. And so that it got really blown out to everything else. And the people, it turned out that Nietzsche was just a really brilliant guy, but that is the exception. That is not the rule. And like that, and you know, Nietzsche died sickly, penniless, uh, very dependent on everyone, like his his mother, and you know, all all this other kind of stuff, and everything else. Like he was just kind of a, he ended up in a very very sad state, like the literal definition of a starving philosopher in this case. And so, like he had all that sort of thing where he just kind of never he never got off the ground with a lot of other different things. And that's going to be you know, so but that people in this age where everything is so competitive, where a lot of people are. They're, self, they're publishing books on Amazon. Everyone's got a podcast. Everyone's got this. Everyone's got that. You have to find a way to differentiate yourself in a bunch of different things, and you have to invest in that, whether that's financially, whether that's learning a new skill set, whether that's doing that, whether that's doing this, whether that's doing some other thing. It has to be something, and you have to make yourself marketable. And, and I, but also, I love your point at the end is, is about it has to be good. It has to be good. Like your book has to be – like you cannot write it. Like no one's going to read a shitty book whether you sell the hell out of it or not. No one's going to read it. And I think that there are, you know, there's a lot of things that just kind of, you know, that's a sense of entitlement as well. Like, oh, just read my book because I wrote a book. It's like, dude, no, it's got to be good. It's like, you know, you can't just write something to write something. And that's something where I think it's, it's, that's what I look for. Like, even though like, you know, our books, you know, may not be, you know, selling out the New York Times bestseller list or whatever. It's like the content is there. And so if the right person finds it at the right time and says like, oh, I'm going to talk about this or this or that or whatever then that's going to kind of be where everything goes. And so it's a combination of both. And walking that line is really, really difficult for a lot of people, myself included, certainly. Absolutely. I mean, here's another thing to consider. So I've been fortunate to like have my book and a few Barnes and Nobles here in the Twin Cities. 
It's in like the autobiography section or the memoir section. You want to know yeah. what's interesting, Sam? Like, there's me, and then there everyone else there. You know who they are. We're talking like Tony Robbins, you know, A-list yeah. actor, sports celebrity. Like, my point being is, if you if like if someone's watching this and they're an aspiring author, writer, whatever, realize like it. You have to become a brand. Like Tony Robbins. Well, let's just use LeBron James because everyone knows who he is. LeBron James could go to whatever publisher in the country and be like, I want to write a book. And they'd say yes. Why? Not because LeBron James can write. It's because they know his image and likeness will sell them copies. Like, yes. so that's like, it's again, something like that people have to think about. Or I remember reading Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad. He told yeah. a story about this woman in like Singapore, who was a great writer, who was like writing a feature on him. And he t- had the same conversation with her. He's like, hey, you know, you should think about like marketing yourself, developing some sales skills so that you can get this work out there. She's like, well, no, like I'm a writer. This is what I do. You know, kind of arrogantly dismissed what he had said. And again, we have no idea who this woman is today, but we know who Robert Kiyosaki is and we know who his book is, but it's not because he's the most talented writer. He's just really good at delivering critical information effectively and efficiently, but yeah. he knows how to market himself. So yeah. That's what I would tell people who are aspiring is like, again, it's going to be hard to write a book and you're going to think you made it, but you just like, you've only just started, unfortunately. Yeah. And that's, it's the sad reality of a lot of things in life for people who want to be like these self-made type of people, myself included, is that you got to do a lot more than you think you do and you're already doing a lot. So that's really, uh, it's, it's a tough pill to swallow in a lot of ways, but anyway, so the last question. So okay. everything else that has gone on with your works. You have a third book coming out in the Long Road series. I, I Like I said, I have the manuscript open. I'm really excited to read it. So what are your continued plans to kind of keep the momentum going, to keep growing by throwing yourself face first into life? Because that's kind of how, what, how, how you go about your process, it seems like. You just kind of just go for stuff. You do a lot of really cool stuff. So like, what are your plans to kind of keep that train going forward where you can kind of see how everything works from that kind of a sense and really you know, keep milking that creative stuff out of you? a very good question like this third book will come out uh probably next year after i sign the deal this year um and that might be my last book personally for a while Mm -hmm. or until i can secure some considerable resources from a traditional publisher because like you know it's expensive it's time consuming to publish these books and what they really end up serving as 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 i've learned out to this point is their marketing tools so you know i love my stories i hope you know everyone reads them but that's a, that's a lofty goal. Uh, the way these books actually make me money today is I'm able to pitch myself as an author to prospective clients, let's say, who want to be featured on my website. And you know, just a real quick thing about my website, I write feature articles about people much like I did with you, and they pay me to do that. And it's awesome because it's like I love to write. I love to have conversations with people, and I love to network. And I'm able to do all those within that platform, um, my website. And so – as far as like more directly to your question, what are my plans? It's just to keep going. Like just we'll yeah. call it the bike trip. Like I don't know where I'm going to end up as far as like a career, but I'll end up in a casket one day. And so I'm just going to keep going and going and going until I'm there. Um, and that's work to this point. It doesn't mean that I'm wealthy or that like I've, you know, I'm in some like elite stratosphere. It just means like I'm so much better today than I was five years ago. And that's because a lot of like solutions or actionable um, opportunities, they only come because I just don't quit. And so again, like a cyclist, just keep the legs moving. And that's what I'm going to do is I'm just going to keep writing and I'm going to keep networking and, you know, keep befriending people like yourself who enrich my life. Well, thank you, man. Uh, the books are the long road East and the long road North. He is Quentin super, quentinsuper.com. 
third book later next year or early next year, hopefully. Could sooner we can get it out, the better. Um, Quentin, is there anything else you want to promote? Anything else you want to say? But other than that, thanks for coming on, brother. I really appreciate you, man. I got nothing more to say, man. This was an absolute pr- privilege, and I uh, appreciate the opportunity once again. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for Quentin coming on. Let him know I- I'm going to post his Instagram, his website, his books in the tile of this podcast. I highly recommend that you go out and check out all of them. His name is Quentin Super. My name is Sam Across. On the day, open your mind, and we'll see you guys next week. Thanks. Hopping, stopping, hopping like a rabbit. When I take the Nino Ross, you know I got to have it. I lay back in the cut, retain myself. Think about the shit and I think it well. How can I mix my grip? And how should I make that nigga straight?